I think many of us who are engaged in heavy clinical practice especially, what pulls you into medicine in the first place for most of us is a sense of curiosity. You want to be part of helping humanity in whatever you decide that is. At CARES, we have students who are just dying to be there. We have patients who are grateful to be seen. And by the end of the evening, everyone has gotten what they came for. And it's incredibly satisfying. Welcome to the Innovatively Speaking podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Medical University of South Carolina. In each episode, we dive into the origins of the next big things, the who, the why, the how. We explore ideas that are changing what's possible here at the Medical University of South Carolina, and in some cases, all across the world. I'm Kevin Smith in the MUSC podcast studio with my co-host, the Chief Innovation Officer here at MUSC, Dr. Jesse Goodwin. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning to you. Today, we're going to be talking about the CARES Clinic here at MUSC with Anita Ramsady. Um, tell me a little bit about Anita. So I, I think I first became acquainted with Anita and her work uh, when she was nominated by her college dean for an I'm an MUSC Innovator Award. Um, it's an award that my office runs quarterly to celebrate individuals who are really going above and beyond in their day-to-day -day work to solve pain points um, for the institution or for those that they serve. And Anita was nominated by Dr. Ray Dubois um, and was selected as a recipient. And then we had the opportunity to work together last year when and she ran um, a pilot grant program during Innovation Week, and we got to become more acquainted with some of the work that she does. And it's really exciting to see how she's been leveraging students to really engage and improve the health of the community at large. So I'm excited to, to talk with Anita and learn more about what she's doing. Sounds like a true innovator. Let's jump in. Anita Ramsey, welcome to the MUSE Podcast Studio. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about the CARES Clinic. First of all, CARES is an acronym. What does that stand for? Um, CARES actually stands for Community Aid, Relief, Education, Support. Um, CARES is pretty unique. It's one of the oldest student-run free clinics in the country. It started in 2005, so it actually predates my coming to MUSC. It was started by Wanda Gonzalez, who was a physician in the family medicine department. It was two things. Um, at the time, there were fewer student-run free clinics in the country. And CARES was one of the first, as I mentioned. The students really lobbied for it. And they are heavily involved in running it. It's very unique in terms of student education. But the other aspect of it was that at the time, there were very few clinics that treated uninsured patients. And that's really what CARES addresses. We treat uninsured individuals. So it was a perfect marriage of students needing something and the population needing something. And so CARES actually is unique in that it has a dual mission of education and service. Fantastic. Tell me a little bit about uh, student-run clinics and why that is a thing and why that's important. So we have patients show up um, assuming that the students are going to do all their medical care, and it's actually not that. So by student-run, we actually mean they do all the administrative parts of the clinic. We do have student volunteers who see the patients, but they're a separate group. We have a board of students who are elected by their peers every year. They go through an interview process and they fill every position from chief of operations all the way through, including marketing positions, um, patient care coordinator positions. They change from year to year, but they have duties. They have um, a guidebook. They've got protocols. They've got everything that looks like a mini hospital service that runs with all of those positions. and. I have very little input, surprisingly, into who gets picked. <laughs> About two years ago, I was able to get what I call veto power. So if I think a student is inappropriate for the role, I can suggest someone else. But otherwise, they are interviewed and selected by each other. 
and they do everything administratively for the clinic. It's actually really pretty impressive to see. It sounds like a fascinating educational opportunity, at the very least. It is. Anita, how did you become uh, part of the clinic? So how did you become engaged with sort of providing that oversight from, you know, a faculty medical perspective? This is one of the examples I like to share with the students, particularly when they inevitably have some existential crisis in their life. I actually ended up volunteering at CARES as a community provider first. In between jobs, the prior director had seen me give a talk when I was employed elsewhere and randomly met me at a mall, so everyone should go out shopping from time to time, and said, hey, I saw a talk that you gave on diabetes in the community. That was really good. You should come and serve at this free clinic I direct in Mount Pleasant. And I said, that sounds great. I'll do it sometime on that long list of things to do. And at some point, I was between in between jobs, and I thought, hmm, there was that free clinic that that person had mentioned. This would be good. I could go do that. And I went for one evening, came home, and I told my husband almost verbatim, this is what medicine should feel like. That was astounding, being there. And I would love a job like that. And he said, that's really great, but I don't know if that job exists. But keep looking. And so I kept going. Several nights a month, I was there precepting as a volunteer provider. I interacted with the students. I saw how the clinic was run. Absolutely loved it. And at some point, I was looking for jobs continuously. And I realized that what really drove me professionally and, and personally was, was service. It was a very particular um, part of my life that I really wanted. So I changed my job search from internal medicine, from endocrinologist, from all of those other things I had been searching for on the great Google and put in service looking for my job. And up pops this job looking for the medical director of the free clinic. And I thought, that's my clinic. That's where I've been going. I am unfortunately not family medicine trained, and the CARES clinic is directed out of the family medicine division, which is extraordinary. They do tons of community engagement, and I had to petition very nicely to be considered for the job. My then chair, Dr. Terrence Steyer, who's now our dean, had to go through a few hoops to consider me, and I ended up getting the position. Interestingly enough, one of the students I had worked with that year, I think, actually wrote me a letter of recommendation. So you never know when all these students are going to hold a little bit more power over you than you expect. Let me rewind a minute. You said when you first uh, were, were a part of this clinic that this is how medicine should be. Unpack that. What, what do you mean by that? So the... My prior experience, and I think many of us who are engaged in heavy clinical practice especially, there's what pulls you into medicine in the first place for most of us is a sense of curiosity scientifically. You want to be part of helping humanity in whatever you decide that is. Sure. And you want to have a good collegial group. And that often happens, but as students and trainees, you don't quite anticipate all the professional obligations that come with that, the the billing, the documentation, the request for different things, and the scales don't often balance as well as you would like. And there are days where it just tips in the scale of this is a lot of other stuff that I don't really like doing. And you don't get enough of what feeds your soul as to why you came in the first place. And at CARES, we have students who are just dying to be there. We have patients who are grateful to be seen. Everyone is working as a team. You kind of have to when you're in a low resource setting. You don't have everything available. 
and the pace is slower because we see fewer patients. There isn't the drive to see this many people in this amount of time. And by the end of the evening, everyone has gotten what they came for. And it's incredibly satisfying to see that happen. It's, it's a, a little bit of magic. I mean, honestly, sounds it does sound magical, right? There's there's relatively few days, I think, in most of our professional lives where at the end of the day you get to go home and think, like, I satisfied everybody <laughs> today, right? Um, it wasn't just a select few. I got through my whole to-do list. I mean, that that in and of itself is, you know, what a great feeling and what a great experience to have it be run by students for that educational opportunity as well. Um, can you describe for us how the CARES clinic is run, so who the target population is and where it's located, uh, not just here, but I know you're set up across the state. So can you describe how it operates and, and you know, why it's there in the first place? Yes. So uh, CARES 1.0, which is our main site, is in Mount Pleasant. That was where we started. It's um, in connection with East Cooper Community Outreach. So we run out of their building and it works very nicely as a partnership only in the evenings. So it works well with the student schedules. They're in class all day. And then in the evenings, it runs from 6 to about 9 o'clock on paper. We have some situations where clinic runs a little bit later, but we try not to have clinic run past 10 o'clock. We're there three nights a week, almost every week for the year. We close around Christmas time, and I believe there's one other week. So we're open about 49 weeks of the year. Try to give the students some time for their own vacations in between, of course. And that's our main site. We have about 50% of our care is preventative and primary care, and the other 50% is so specialty care. We have cardiologists who donate their time. We have a dermatology night. We have an orthopedics night. We have psychiatry night. We have gynecology night. And so there, we're able to provide some degree of subspecialty care as well at the clinic. It's all for uninsured adults, so primarily for people between the ages of 18 and 64. By the time people get to 65, they often have Medicare, so they don't need our services anymore. After CARES 1.0, we've expanded out, and so CARES also has two additional community sites. One is in St. Stephen, which is our rural community outreach, and that is a bit of a health fair-ish operation, but not quite. It's focused really on what I've renamed decentralized preventative care. So we go out into the community and pair with them to put together something that they want to see. But we try to bring preventative care that will matter. So we bring vaccines, we bring screenings, um, and we ensure that everyone has access to get to the next point. One of the things we don't like doing is saying, well, it looks like you have this condition. Well, we're so sorry. We want there to be following steps. The third part is our pediatric preventative clinic, which happens about four times a year and is specifically for under or uninsured children. That started up about three years ago and is specifically for school mandated vaccines that um, parents of children cannot afford. Do you end up with patients coming in from across the state to the Mount Pleasant location since that's the primary location that you're operating out of? We haven't seen them specifically coming from out of state, but we've seen them newly into the state. And surprisingly, a fair number also attend the St. Stephen event. We've had a, a number of them who show up there saying, you know, I've just moved. I don't have insurance here yet and I don't have a provider, but I heard that you had this event, so I'm here today to sort of get taken care of, and then I'll go ahead and get my provider in the next few months. So we've also found that CARES has been a bridge for individuals who newly move into the state who need some care. Recently, we've seen a fair number of people who identify as, refu as refugees who come to our clinic as well. 
Well, let's talk about the education piece a little more. You said a minute ago that the students who work there are dying to work there. They love it. Unpack that for me. That's an interesting thing. I would imagine being at school all day would be a tough load, and then but they're ra- raring to go to come to the clinic that evening? They are raring to go. One of our current problems that we are trying to solve, we invite you to help us with that as well, is that our volunteer sign-up list is booked out for four months. The <laughs> students have access to the volunteer sign-up sheet, and they will book it all the way out to ensure that they get a spot to be at CARE's main site or CARE's volunteer events that are in the community. I was told by several students, anytime that email comes out for either Care St. Stephen or the CARES Pediatric Clinic, it is filled in about 10 minutes. It's gone. And so for the preclinical students especially, our College of Medicine has done a really good job trying to integrate more clinical teaching into that, but they're still heavily didactic. They're in class, they're in the lab, they're in their books 95% of the time. They know they're going to get there, but at that point when you're immersed in all of that studying, you want, as they say, to see real patients. I see, I see. And this is their opportunity to to do that and to be a part of a true clinical care picture that is happening in real time. And so they get to see who they're becoming at that time. It's a fantastic problem to have is a, is a volunteer list that fills up quickly. Um, talk to me about the... Um, St. Stephen event a little bit more. You mentioned that it's uh, you, you try to bring, you, you build the program around the community. Um, I imagine just from talking to you that that's sort of your MO. What does that look like? How, you go into the community, you talk with people, you find out what the problems are, build a program around that? It is. One of the things that I've, I've learned myself and we're trying to do well as a program together is to be flexible. And so for when we, when we started in St. Stephen, there was a call. We actually started that program because Google, who has a data center there, approached us and said, we would love to do something in this community with your partnership. We are not a healthcare group. Most of the healthcare groups will only treat insured individuals, and we want to be able to cap- capture everyone and turn no one away. Would you be able to do this? And we said, yep, we're ready to do this. And CARES is fairly nimble. It's one of the benefits of being a low-resource group. We can pretty much set up in a field, so <laughs> which we did, actually, for the first event. We set up on a football field. So at that point, there was a, a call from an outside group. We did meet with some representatives of the community. We met with school leaders. We met with one or two community members. We met with someone from their local government to put together the initial approach. And the initial approach was a combination of clinical services, screenings, and food to address identified food insecurity in the area. And that was the model we operated on for about a year and a half. Then the pandemic hit, and we were faced with not being able to do that model safely anymore as well as securing safety of the students who heavily staff these events and the security of everyone who was attending the event. So we had to come up with another way to do this and we changed into a drive-through model, which we developed together, talked to individuals there, and after the first six months, we had a survey of all the participants who came through the drive-through, which I think was about 250 residents. Got all of their input and changed the operation based on what they said we should do. One year later, we did it again. And then after that, the most recent 
that we've done, we were able to walk around. Um, thankfully, the pandemic is pulling back, so we're able to in- integrate a little bit more. But this time we took a written survey to multiple community areas at different times, different times of the year, given by different people. So I went once to the library and sat there and just randomly talked to people and filled out the survey based on what they said. Two students went to the bingo games, the volleyball games, the farmer's markets, all of those, the basketball games, the drugstore, and asked people, what are your concerns? What would you like to see? What stops you from attending healthcare events, et cetera? And we have started changing again. And so we want to include the community not only in what they want to see, but what they're able to contribute. One of the other things I found is important is playing to the strengths of where you are. And even though you would be tempted to look at a rural community that's small, like St. Stephen, and focus on what you find on paper, that there are high levels of poverty, there are concerning levels of literacy among adults, there's some concerns about um, drug use, and the community themselves brought those up. It is an incredibly close-knit community. Many people have their own gardens. They have wonderful community events. We want to also play to those strengths so that the community can also lift itself up. I like that you focus so much on meeting them where they're at and and providing the services that they're asking for rather than presuming that we know what's best for them. Um, And Anita, you mentioned um, when you were talking about going that you are flexible and you set up your first time on the football field. And I actually love the story about how you ended up there. And so would you mind sharing that? Because I I do think it speaks to sort of the creativity of, of working within a small rural community. Of course, that was one of my favorite things I think I've done in the last couple of years. Our our launch in St. Stephen several years ago was actually at their their football game during homecoming week. And we chose that because we were very cognizant of the fact that we didn't feel as though we knew the community very well, and they most certainly did not know us. We were coming in with all what we thought were good intentions, but... A lot of medical care requires a significant amount of trust. And that often comes after you actually have seen someone some a lot more than one time. And we also really wanted to feel as though we were more a part of the community than coming in, doing something, and leaving. And what better way to start doing that than by a community event that everybody attends and is excited to be attending. And so we had our first community screening at the Timberland High School football game during homecoming week, which was entirely too much fun because several of the people on the CARES and the student team apparently were part of their high school marching band and (laughs) were really excited when the Timberland High School marching band came out. But we were up in the stands, people came down, we got to try the the local special fried fish that they had that everyone talked about. And it was it was very unlike what we had done previously. We were able to speak with community members that were happy to just sort of check us out carefully and then come and sit and chat. Whether or not they wanted to have their finger stick or their blood pressure checked was great or not. It was a low-key, wonderful way to just start to get to know each other, and it was really fun. And their fried fish is actually exceptionally good. (laughs) It's really good. I think, um, to me, 
you know, so much of care uh, when we think about how it's provided is sort of what I'll call physician-centric or in this case clinic-centric where we're asking people to take time out of their busy schedules and come to us and fit into a schedule. And that's really hard for a lot of people um, to take time out and to make it somewhere else. And I also am from a small rural community where everyone shows up to the football game on Friday nights. That's the one place where you can find like 95% of the people is because that's where they go to socialize and to sort of form um, that community and to cheer for the local team. And so I love it because I think it's a really wise way to meet the community where they're at and a fun um, sort of low pressure way to sort of look and say, like, we're here with you. Um, You know, we're not asking you to come to us. We're willing to come to you and we're going to do it in a way that that is engaging and fun. And and I think it's a sort of a low barrier entry to showing them that you really are there to help. So and it sounds like it's working. Let's talk a little bit about that. What it was, give, give us some success stories from St. Stephen in particular, maybe. Obviously, you've, you've gotten the trust of the community, and that's a huge win. But what were some of the concerns, maybe the medical concerns, and then what has shifted since you guys have started putting a footprint there? So our after the wonderful football game, our first event the day after was supposed to be a full-blown medical clinic, everything that you would want. We had... Uh, bed set up in different rooms, you were able to give prescriptions, etc. And we had a fairly low turnout that first that first day, which was disappointing. We thought, okay, we're here, we're ready to, to do everything. We met, met a lot of people last night, and we had a fairly low turnout. And after that, for several different reasons, including that buildup of trust over time, we found that within about six months, we went from, I believe our first attendance for the first true event was maybe around 30 or so people. And within six months, we were up at 130, which was totally different. And one of the things that had changed was that we had a new community partner that we were finally able to pull in and have everything worked out, which is the Low Country Food Bank. So we had the clinic running and the screening and the Low Country Food Bank with all the nutrition discussion there, and then that really morphed into something that the community truly wanted. And so they came for their screenings, and they came for the fresh produce, and they came to discuss their nutrition concerns and their health concerns. So that very steep trajectory happened within about six months, and that was huge. I think with the with being able to shift operations during pande- the pandemic, that was a huge success for us. We were very concerned that we would not be able to continue. And when we started in St. Stephen, I will never forget this. At the football game, actually, I had a community member say something to the effect of, we're so glad you guys are here. We hope this works out. We've had people come here before and then just leave. And we had collectively as a group that evening made a vow that we would not do that. We would always find some way to continue operations in St. Stephen. We did not want to be one of the groups that showed up and then left. And then the pandemic showed up and I thought, oh my goodness, now we're going to be one of these groups that has to show up and leave. And being able to restructure our operations in a way where we not only didn't leave, but adapted to what the community needed and saw expansion, we went from then the prior high of 130. I think the highest number we saw during the drive through was around 260. And it kept going. And I'm extremely proud of that because it took a lot of shifting on our end, a change in expectation from both our end and the community side as to what you expect to see in a healthcare event. But we were able to still still do something that they valued and that we felt we were able to contribute. And what a 
fantastic experience for the students as well to have to figure out how to navigate all of those changes. So, you know, you imagine when they go out into their own clinical practice, how um, much more ready they're going to be um, having had the experience that they're gaining at the CARES clinic and, and particularly those that had to make that pivot and figure out how to do that during times like the pandemic, you know, um, what an well, just an amazing experience for all of those students. And this is an innovation podcast, and it sounds just from what you've shared so far that you're neck deep in innovation with with, with what you guys do. Tell talk to me a little bit about that. Obviously, it's a it's a mindset, and it sounds like it's a mindset that that you from the top down really kind of preach. Um, talk about innovation as a mindset. With cares being a student run free clinic and typically low on funds, it it somewhat forces you to think in a different way. The the students and I have dreams no bigger than anyone else with a much, much bigger pocketbook. It's just that ours is relatively small. And so, for instance, several years ago, we had a student that said, we, re- we would love to have a mobile clinic. We need to take this out. And this was prior to um, St. Stephen. And I said, that's great, but we're broke. So we need to think of another way to do this. I love your idea. I love your enthusiasm. Let's think of how to do this. And what we did instead was break down what mobile meant. And we do that a lot. When the students come up with different ideas or I come up with another idea and we think this isn't something we can do the way it looks now, we try to break down what we're really getting to. And what this student wanted was mobility and being able to do something that was out of a structure. That was what this person really wanted to see, and more flexibility. And we were able to do that without buying the $300,000 van. That would be great, but we didn't have the funds at the time, and we were still able to do that by looking at it in a different way. So we've now made it an almost automatic point that when an idea comes up, the first thing we say is, okay, let's think about what that really means. What are you trying to get to? And we get down the route as far as we can so that we can figure out other ways to do it. And it stops us from assuming that something has to be done in one way. It's opened up a lot more possibility and it's a lot more fun, honestly, to think of things in a different way. Changing what's possible, right? Indeed. Anita, you mentioned that the, the volunteer list for the students fills up like four months in advance, but but clearly they can't practice on their own. And that's how you became engaged with them was by precepting for them. Um, and you did that uh, even as a non-MUSC employee, you were a community physician who volunteered time there. Um, so do you have a need still for other preceptors to come in and, and to help out in these clinics, either in the Mount Pleasant area or in the St. Stephen's or the Peds clinic that you run? We do. Thank you for asking about that. Our our volunteer pool is always looking for interested preceptors. Our request is that you are ready to teach. The students love hearing any guidance that preceptors have and that you have a true dedication to taking care of anyone, regardless of their ability to pay. CARES never asks for any payment of any kind. So that's the person that we're looking for. You need to be, of course, fully licensed and have an active medical license. But we are looking for preceptors at our main site as well as those who can serve in our pediatrics clinic. So if you're if you're comfortable vaccinating kids, please call me. I am not comfortable vaccinating children. And for our event in St. Stephen, we would love to have volunteers there as well. The CARES main site has a, a little button that you can press if you're interested in being a preceptor, and we will go ahead and contact you as soon as we get your information. That's excellent. And this would be for both... Um, uh, 
I don't want to say generalists, but internal medicine as well as uh, subspecialty providers as well, correct? Yes. Everyone can volunteer. Yes. We're, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Excellent. Well, as we kind of close close the conversation for today, um, let's talk, let's, let's get personal. Tell me a little, little bit about your personal involvement, a personal aspect of the work you're doing right now. I think one thing that's important for a lot of people to, to really stop and think about is that life can change very quickly. And what many people don't understand about the people that we treat at CARES, both the adults and the kids, is that they may not fit your preconceived idea of who attends a free clinic. Uh, We have seen adults who were fined two months ago and now have lost their insurance through reasons that had nothing to do with them. Their jobs changed, they were divorced, they got sick, someone in their family got sick. We also see students who are in between situations, either at school or with their jobs, We see individuals who are employed but don't have insurance through their job and they cannot afford to buy it. So what I've understood is a lot of people have a picture in their heads of who attends a free clinic and you might be very surprised at who benefits from having services that do not require you to pay. And for all of us, what you have here today might not be there tomorrow, and it's important to keep that in mind. Excellent. Well, we will put links to all of your information in the show notes. And uh, Dr. Anita Ramsey, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, both of you. You've been listening to the Innovatively Speaking podcast with the Medical University of South Carolina. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, leave a rating and review. To hear more innovative ideas and to share your own, subscribe to the show or visit us on our webpage, web.musc.edu slash innovation. And remember, don't hesitate to innovate.